And I used to run cold, but now I run hot. Oh, that's weird. Hey, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, um, and I love skull designs. Cool. Look at this. Look at this one. No oh, one nobody... else can see it, but you can no see one... it. It's a, what is that? Uh, it's a coaster, and it has a skull on it. Very exciting. Yeah. Well, you know. You already know that. I feel like I'm telling the listener. But you already know. Have you ever know. used that purse I got you with the skull design? Yeah. I, really? It, yeah. I, oh, I cool. have it um, carrying makeup. It, oh, it fun. Hold, it, I hold my makeup in it. <laughs> I have a lot more makeup now. I've become more of a makeup person. How come? Boredom. And also, uh, I don't know. I, I just like, I see a lot of makeup tutorials on the internet. It seems to be like a thing that really takes up a lot of time for people. So you're just doing your makeup to then sit in your house alone? Well, I take pictures of myself. This is Just Between Us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games. And brutal honesty. Will you please read the amazing listener email we received? Okay, so a few, many shows ago, I talked about how I was starting to knit. But here's the update. I hate knitting. I'm not doing it anymore. Ah. But... Gabby was very confused about what knitting actually is, and I was confused as well, even though I was doing it. Um, And so this wonderful woman named Lisa reached out and said, you mentioned in your most recent episode to write in if you're a knitter and know about the technical things. So here I am, a 26-year-old grandma who's been knitting since she was a fetus, actually like seven. She says, think of knitting as a series of yarn and loops. You know how roller coasters might do a loop? Think of the roller coaster rail as the yarn. Each new stitch is a new loop, which is connected to the loop just below it and the loops on either side. You are using the knitting needles to create new ones, but the needles also function to stop the old loops from completely unraveling. In the roller coaster scenario, the needle is the ground. (laughs) Hope this helps. Love the show, Lisa. (laughs) Thank you so much, Lisa. We were both uh, real tickled by this email. And I I have to say, I don't understand it at all any more than I did before, but I I really appreciate the email and the roller coaster metaphor. Yeah, I I think it was beautifully written. I enjoy that, that you're also making sure that the loops don't become unlooped. That's helpful. Yeah, yeah. And my favorite part of the email is the the needle is the ground. Yeah. Um, we also want to shout out, so like on a different episode, we said, uh, that we wanted someone to compile all the things that we call ourselves at the beginning of, um, the show. And, uh, and some uh, people did, a bunch of people did one person on Twitter and then like someone in my DMS on Instagram and then a a bunch of people emailed us. Yeah. So thank you so much for that. Uh, to me reading through all of them. Uh, what I realize is that I constantly talk about basketball and Spider-Man. And so I think maybe I am a middle school boy. <laughs> you know, we're all going through different phases. And mine is puberty. Um, what, did I talk, what did I talk about the most? Oh, I wasn't paying attention to you. There we go. <laughs> we have got a great episode for you guys this week. We're going to be talking to KCRW producer Cerise Castle, who has been covering the Black Lives Matter movement. And she was shot with a rubber bullet, even though she is press. 
So we're going to talk about the disrespect for the press. And later we'll be discussing Biden uh, and addressing how we feel about having him as our candidate. Yikes. It was kind of um, a suggestion from a listener. So thank you again to our listeners. Wow, what a really engaged listener base we do have. Okay. I know. It's amazing. But first, hit it. International question. International question. International question. Sophie, New Jersey. Sophie says, my question is, when living at home, how do I combat my judgmental parents' views on my eating habits and my appearance and try to convince myself their criticisms are not valid? Mm-hmm. Oh, my heart hurts. Okay. Backstory. I have an average body type for a 20-year-old and have fought with my parents for years over my eating habits as they are health nuts and I like to have dessert from time to time. Since I was in middle school, my parents have constantly criticized my eating habits, snacking, and have claimed it was the reason for my chubby stomach and acne. Oh my God. Although that could be true, I was a very active kid and had a pretty healthy diet, and I drank lots of water. These body image issues, my GP told me, stemmed from hormones slash just being a human. Right. I went on Zoloft my freshman year of college for panic disorder, which resulted in no weight gain and has been extremely helpful. Woohoo! But I recently started Accutane that has had some complications. Oh, man. I had to go on birth control for Accutane, and that caused me to gain a little water weight. Obviously, being on a mix of medications and having that be the only side effect, I was relieved and willing to grin and bear it through this six-month-long process. Well, my parents are not having it. Ugh. They immediately noticed my weight gain and every day have been talking to me about my weight eating habit since they are convinced my weight gain has to do with my snacking. Accutane has my face purging or breaking out more than normal to get all the gunk out before it can heal properly. So I definitely don't look slash feel my best right now. She basically had to move home because of coronavirus from school and she has tried to talk to them about their comments and how hurtful they are, but they claim they're just concerned for my health. This constant commentary has made me start binge eating, an issue I had in high school when this would happen, or go days without eating at all. My therapist is aware of this issue, but I was wondering if you have any tips on how to combat the negativity I'm receiving at home before it spirals into a full-blown eating disorder. I'm sure this is happening to a lot of people where you're home now due to COVID and like your parents are transphobic, your parents like are homophobic, your parents tell you in uh, terrible stuff about your weight and uh, and like, you know, it's going to spiral you into an eating disorder and all this stuff that like you don't normally have to be around or you've grown out of dealing with. And now it's like come full force rearing back. Um, I I wonder if there's something to just being like, no, (laughs) like when they bring it up or they start talking about it to just be like, if you bring this up or start talking about it, the only words I will say, I will just say no until you stop. I also think that especially with the parents' power dynamic, when you're growing up, you think, oh, okay, so my parents know stuff that I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like that they have knowledge and that they are more educated and have more wisdom. And so their beliefs may or may not hold more weight than mine because I'm young and dumb. Mm-hmm. That's not true. Right. <laughs> a, a lot of adults have very misguided beliefs, and they're a result of growing up around other idiot adults who have misguided beliefs. Right. So I have to imagine that your parents either grew up with this excessive focus on weight and health, or they like indoctrinated themselves into this like health culture, weight loss culture, and then have just like 
put blinders on to anything else. And that doesn't mean that their beliefs are valid. It just means that they, it's what they believe. It sucks because in my head, like, it, if you are a parent, what you want to do is support and love your child. And you want your child to be in the best, like, mental health space. And you want your child to, like, you want them to feel supported. You don't want to do anything that is clearly hurting them. And then, obviously, more and more, like, even starting in second grade when I started sleeping over at people's houses and, like, seeing other people's families, I was like, oh, you don't give a shit. Like, you, you don't care. Like, you... You just want your kid to be like an extension of you and like mm-hmm. be perfect and be or in your mind what you view perfect to be. And like your kid is literally on a bunch of medications to make them feel better. And you're be- part of the problem. Like, how, how can you rationalize that? But people do. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I truly believe that your parents, their intention is not to hurt you. Like they they have I I like to use the cult like metaphor because like I don't think that you need to be involved in like a full-blown cult in order to have cult life beliefs around things right so for them their cult like belief is that any two extra pounds means your health is terrible right you know and I have to say I grew up in a very similar family when I was over 140 pounds my parents acted as if like I was gonna have a heart attack (laughs) where and it was because you were on like a medication that was helping you right and so there and I and I believe that deep down that their concern was for my health in reality was I unhealthy at 143 pounds no no was I exercising regularly yes did I was I in good like physical shape yes but to them and the way that they grew up they think that that's bad. And like the amount of work that would go into me trying to explain to them that that's not bad is too much. Yeah. (laughs) So I think what Gabby is right is that you have to set up that boundary with them and you have to explain that you just do not want to hear it. And if they continue to talk to you about it, I think you should leave the room. Yes, like totally. I think you need to disengage. You need to not let them berate you. And I think... Almost sometimes when you're dealing with people whose point of view is just so wrong, but like you care about them, so it still can like permeate you. I would, instead of feeling attacked, I would instead flip it and feel bad for them. Yeah, feel sorry for them. Feel sorry for them that they are so stuck in this mindset that is so unhealthy, not just for you, but for them. Because imagine what pressure they're putting on themselves and their body. Yeah. If they're putting that on you. Yeah. And again, I mean, I don't know. I did this like where for in college I started like when my dad would start in on stuff that I had clearly told him no about. Uh, this was more over the phone. But I would say he I, I would he would start to talk about something that I had set a boundary about. And I would go no and hang up and just hang up. Mm-hmm. And like he would call back and I'd be like and, I, and I'd be like, we can talk about something else. But if you bring this up again and then he would like bring it up again and I'd be like, no, and hang up. Um, and so like, I, that's why I really, I don't know how sustainable this is, but I like the idea of just being like, no, cause you, you have control over what you say or how you respond. You don't have control over what they do. I also think that you can, you know, so that what is they keep bringing in their expert opinion, right? That yeah. their opinion is correct. So I think that you can say, look, I've talked to my therapist. I've talked to my doctors. I'm on the right 
level of medications. My body weight is fine. And I'm addressing the more pressing issue. Yeah, like I'm triaging my issues. And so right now my priorities are my mental health and also dealing with my acne. And this is a six month process. And at the end of the six months and when I'm off the birth control, maybe I will choose to reassess. But this is my body and the, and you are, you are not allowed to continue to talk about my body. Uh, yeah. And then if they do, just like you got to hold for, I mean, look, my parents are hurt all the time when I set a boundary around stuff. And I think it's just because they're not used to it. Um, and so it, it's a growing pain. Like, it's really painful. Like, when I first started setting boundaries, I was yelled at all the time. And, like, I was told, like, I don't know why you're being such a bitch and, like, all this stuff. Um, but it, it, and it took years for it to stick. But, like, you got to start. You got to start doing it. And, like, they're not going to get it. And they're going to be like, I don't know why. They're going to turn it on. I mean, I don't know. I'm just, my parents, like, turned it on me and were like, you're being difficult. But, like, you got to protect yourself. You really mm-hmm. have to protect yourself. Um, your your mental health is most important. And it sucks that like normally you would be at school. And I think a lot of people are dealing with this where like now they're home and, and they're having to deal with stuff where they can't like really. I mean, you could put a mask on and take a walk, but like, you know, you can't really go anywhere or see friends that might help you. So that comes to like the second part of this equation, which is you know, how do you then not internalize what they're saying to you? Mm -hmm. So because they're going to, you know, maybe you can cut the conversation short and you can like set up boundaries and hopefully that works. But let's say that doesn't work. How do you not let that affect you? And every time that they say that, that you need to lose weight, just hear my voice saying, no, you don't. (laughs) Yeah. And here and here's Gabby's voice saying, no, you don't. Yeah. And, he- and hear us saying, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> like, become, become a, like, have that mantra in your head of like, that's dumb. You're dumb. Yeah. That's dumb. You're dumb. That's dumb. Instead of like, turning it on to yourself and like, letting yourself go down that spiral. Yeah. And I mean, if you have friends to talk to who like, I know you said you have your therapist, but you have friends to talk to who can just be like, uh, like maybe create like a safe word or something where you call and say it. And then your friend is like, no, that's stupid. You're fine. This is dumb. But like create like a counter mantra to whatever yeah. bullshit they keep spewing at you. Yeah. And then repeat that in your head instead of like letting yourself explore if what they're saying holds any weight. Because let me tell you, it does not. It does not. It does not. <laughs> I hope that was helpful. You seem to be a, a pretty aware and on top of it. So I'm I'm happy for you as a 20-year-old being like my therapist and I know this is wrong. But also don't don't give yourself a hard time for not fully being able to blow it off either, you know? Like our parents have a big influence on us mm-hmm. and it is totally normal that this will affect you. But I think you just build up your resilience and build up your resilience and hopefully soon it won't in the same way. Yeah, totally. You're young. You're at the beginning of your boundaries journey. And I'm, I can't wait for you to get to the, to the middle and, and hopefully end of it. I'm acting like I'm at the end of it. Who knows? I could set more boundaries tomorrow. So watch out, Karen and Mark. Um, <laughs> if you want to submit your international question, send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we've got a juicy interview with our highly esteemed guest, KCRW producer and journalist Cerise Castle. Stick around. Stick around. Ooh. Just between us. Just between us.
Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. Our guest this week is KCRW producer and journalist Cerise Castle. Hello, Cerise. Hey, what's up? Oh, just a whole lot. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was like, you tell us it's been crazy. <laughs> um, okay, so first of all, can you talk about like what you've been covering and what you're... Because I know you did a lot of stuff for KCRW before and you had different stories all the time, but now you're sort of more focused on the protests and Black Lives Matter. So can you talk a bit about what you're doing now? Yeah, um, so generally at KCRW, I do general news stories. Um, and here in Los Angeles, that can be anything from an earthquake to a fire to, um, I don't know, like a protest shutting down the freeway, which has been happening a lot more <laughs> lately. Um, so dur during the COVID pandemic, which seems like forever ago, but... Uh, is, is now. Really, is still now, happening It's somehow. still happening. <laughs> Uh, it just started um, a few months ago. Um, I started working from home and most of my coverage was centered on that. Um, and then the protests about George Floyd started happening and spread across the country and gave birth to a whole movement calling for racial justice and uh, calling for a number of other things like defunding the police um, and bringing in a whole other bunch of reforms started happening. And I started going out onto the streets and covering that as it's happened. Um, and through that, I've covered the protests that have been ongoing in LA, um, calling for, as I mentioned, defunding the police and racial justice, as well as protests that are happening out in the Antelope Valley um, following the discovery of a black man hanging from a tree. Yes, Robert Fuller. Yes. So uh, were you initially going out uh, as a protester or were you initially going out as a journalist? Uh, so I was going out as a journalist. Every time I go out to these protests, it is as a member of the media. Uh, mm -hmm. I find out a lot about, I find out about these protests, um, through my partner who is an avid protester mm -hmm. organizer. And I take it upon myself to make sure that my media organization is covering these things because so often I feel like, this stuff is ignored unless, mm -hmm. unfortunately, there's sort of a negative element to it, be that looting or people uh, getting hurt in some sort of way. It, usually that's when media tends to zoom in and focus on it. Um, and I really don't like that. And making a change into how storytelling is done um, in news gathering is one of the reasons I got into it. So I make it my responsibility to make sure that we're covering all these things because, you know, it's just, just as worthwhile to cover a protest calling for the removal of Jackie Lacey as it is to cover looting on the Third Street Promenade. And for our international and other people not in L.A., that's the district attorney for Los Angeles who has chosen not to prosecute many police. So what do you feel like the traditional media is getting wrong about what's going on with BLM? Ooh, well, you know, one problem that I see a lot happening with media is a lot of generalizations of mm -hmm. what these marches and what these protests are about. 
Um, you know, it only takes a couple of clicks through social media to find the organizers for these protests and really get a sense of what their goals are. Um, but what I see a lot of reporters doing is just sort of um, gloaming it all under one general, like racial justice is one thing that they really like to say. Um, but, you know, these are different groups with different goals. And I think it's important to actually talk about what they have in mind and find out, you know, what they're about, what they want to do. Because otherwise, I mean, personally, I just think you're being a lazy journalist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like there was, I was so upset by this video of Cuomo being like, well, we don't know what they want. We don't know, he's the governor of New York. He's like, we don't know what they want. We don't know what they want. And I was like, are are you joking? You don't know what they (laughs) want? Like people, long before all of this, activists have been telling you exactly what they want. Uh, It seems very clear. Uh, but I think, yeah, I think it's like a lot of lazy journalism and and more of a focus on like, these people are out of control. Look what they're doing. Totally, totally. And you, we see that in a lot of the language that's used, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one, th- one thing that really bothers me, um, this is like my pet peeve, is like the word African-American. You know, I don't really feel like that's like a good descriptor for a lot of the Black people that live in this country. You know, like mm-hmm. we're part of the African diaspora, but you know, we've been in this country for for generations. We've built this country. Like, we're just as American as everyone else. And I really feel like Black American is a, a better word that encompasses that history. Um, so, you know, a lot of news organizations have been, like, sort of fighting this fight as far as style guides with terms like that are, are concerned. And we're seeing a revolution happening. Like, a lot of news organizations are, like, proudly touting that they're capitalizing the B in Black and they're making all these, like, style guides for, you know, how to talk about different ethnicities. But it's really it's really wild to me. And I'm not, I'm honestly, I'm not surprised that it literally took like three weeks of protesting and a lot of can, can I swear on this? Like, yes, of course, <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> Please. Okay. <laughs> um, and it took a lot of like bullshit getting called out, you know? Like like if you look at like 90% of who runs media organizations, it's older white men, right? Voices like mine are typically like kept to the lower echelons of how media works and it it's really sad and it's I'm happy that this moment that we're having is changing all of that but at the same time you know it does make me a little bit upset to see that you know people like me have been talking about this for years you know it it didn't just happen overnight. Can you talk a little bit about how press is normally treated during like war zones and protests and, you know, how they're supposed to be neutral? Yeah. Um, I can't really talk too much about a war zone. I haven't. <laughs> Just like in general, like, like what, the, what the guidelines are sort of yeah. how you're supposed to treat um, press. Sure. So I've covered protests in the past um, and I've been in a couple of hairy situations and You know, generally press is treated with a lot of, I won't say respect, but there's generally like an understanding between press and law enforcement. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a right to be there and we have a right to document everything that's going on. And in the past, police officers, like, they will try to ride the line with you. Like, they might tell you to step back and you know, if you don't know that you don't have to, like they'll sort of, they'll like use that to keep pushing you a little more. But I mean, they, 
they don't just like, they don't normally just attack you. And and that's what you experienced. Can you talk about what happened um, in the protests that were happening by the Grove in L.A., which is a, a, a mall? Uh, and what happened to, to you specifically? Yeah. So I was out covering protests um, on May 31st. Uh, and these were following the killing of George Floyd. And they were in response to that, um, calling on, you know, again, defunding of the LAPD, the removal of our district attorney, Jackie Lacey. Um, and this was another situation where I, you know, informed my newsroom, hey, I'm going to be out here. I'd like to file a story. Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, coronavirus is also happening. So, and, and mm-hmm. I'm asthmatic. So, I didn't really want to get out and with the people um, because I'm just really afraid of getting sick. Um, so, I was like following the crowd with my car and taking pictures that way, grabbing sound bites um, from people through my car window. Um, and I got a call from my boss, and he said that he was watching a helicopter feed, and it looked like a police car was on fire about two blocks north of where I was. So I drove my car up the two blocks north to where the police car was on fire, and I got out of my car. I started looking around, um, and it actually was a pretty chill scene. The protesters had put out the fire. Um, The car was parked right in front of a gas station and they were being really good about, you know, telling people to get away from the car, not set it on fire and just be safe and be chill. Uh, People were drinking, smoking, uh, just sort of hanging out. So that seemed like a good opportunity for me to talk to people um, and get some more sound bites about, you know, why they're out, what they would like, what changes they would like to see, that sort of thing. Uh, So I parked my car. Um, I started talking to people. I actually ran into some old colleagues that were also covering the protest for another media outlet. We started chatting and they left. And about 30 seconds after they left, um, I heard screaming uh, and I looked around um, and I saw these two trucks full of police officers in riot gear pulling into the intersection that we were at. Uh, they descended from the cars and immediately started firing rubber bullets into the crowd, uh, which is not what's supposed to happen. When the for force like that to be used, there's a process that has to be followed. Police officers are supposed to, when they want you to disperse, first they have to declare it an unlawful assembly and tell you to disperse. Mm-hmm. And they also have to tell you where you can get out right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. None of that happened. There was no dispersal order. These police just arrived and started shooting. That's not supposed to happen. That's a huge violation. I knew that. And as a journalist, it's my job to document these things, right? So I grabbed my camera and my press badge and I held it over my head with one hand and my camera with the other. And I'm shooting and I'm yelling out, press, press, press. So they know I'm press. What happened instead was a police officer turned to me, looked me square in the eye and shot me. And he got me in my left arm, which was like right above where my head was at. I don't know if he was aiming for my head, but it was a really close hit. Um, How far from you was he? Ooh, he was pretty far. Um, The wound on my arm wasn't that bad, luckily. Um, 
I think the distance that the rubber bullets travel, they get a lot less lethal. Mm -hmm. My friend was hit um, at closer range than I was in the face and he had a bruise around his temple and um, like a circular like cut incision um, from the rubber bullet. Um, I was further away than him. So I really only got a bruise, um, a small laceration. I have a scar now. Um, But my serious injury was when I turned to run away, I sprained my ankle and I didn't get very far. I was only able to get probably like 10 feet um, and take cover behind a wall, at which point I called my boss and was probably like having a panic attack with him in all reality. Um, Because, you know, like that's not supposed to happen. Like journalists are not supposed to be attacked while doing their jobs by, you know, police officers like that's what we condemn other countries for doing exactly yeah yeah this is the united states like our it's like in our constitution that freedom of the press is key a key tenant Mm -hmm. to keeping this country accountable and you know what happened to me and what happened to a lot of other journalists while covering this protest and it's still happening because these protests are ongoing it's unheard of and uncalled for. And it's something that, you know, we really need to come together and make sure it doesn't happen again because it's, it's disgusting and it's scary. Mm -hmm. And then you, I was actually driving back to my place and I heard you on the radio, I think right after it happened. So you immediately went on air and talked about it, right? I did. Yeah. Um, And I did that because, you know, like as scared as I was, like I, (laughs) I got a full meltdown. I cried. Um, in my car, um, I had to gather myself and do it because, you know, like that's, I mean, I didn't get into this job to be shot at by police officers, but I did get into this job to shine a light on all the really Mm -hmm. dark and fucked up shit that happens because there's a lot of it and a lot of it gets ignored. A lot of it gets swept up under the rug. And, you know, I thought that relaying to my listeners that, you know, this was, this is happening right now in Mm -hmm. your city. That would really speak to people. And I think it has. Yeah. I mean, listening to you on air being like, I was literally just shot at using my press badge, you know, like you sharing your own experience was so powerful. And I, I commend you so much for even having the, the, brain power to do that after something so traumatic had literally just happened. And I've heard from, you know, you you directed me to um, Lexis Olivia Ray, who's also a journalist covering this stuff, a black man. And uh, we talked a little bit about like being there covering this while also being black and how the police seem to have lumped all black people in the sense that like he was hit with a baton and it's like, He's press, but I think I I mean, I'm assuming that they're just like, well, you must be a protester. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, that's something that I've experienced like throughout my entire career. Um, you know, I anytime I really go to a protest like this, law enforcement, um, and sometimes and sometimes people protesting assume that. I'm one of them. Uh, you know, recently up in Lancaster, I had a similar sort of situation happen with police. Um, this was when I was covering some protests around the death of Robert Fuller. Um, the police formed a skirmish line um, around some protesters that had pushed out into the street. And 
one of them like grabbed me and started pushing me onto the sidewalk um, as I was like recording what was happening. And I turned to him with my press badge and I was like, hey, I'm press. And he still didn't believe me. He was like, I don't care about your what high school you go to. And I was just like... <laughs> ah! I- <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. You were like, thank you so much. I do look very young, but... Yeah. <laughs> can I also say that um, your partner posted... Uh, a picture of the cop that shot you and then had everybody on Twitter roasting him because he looks like um, he looks like um, like Rick Moranis or something. He looks like such a little bitch. That's a photo you took, right? That's a photo I took. Um, I took that right like seconds after I was hit because um, I when we locked eyes, some something just told me like, snap this picture, snap this yeah. picture. Um, and the photo is like, it's like right after he shot me, he's like making this really weird face, (laughs) sort of like squinting with his mouth open. I really, I'm trying really hard, um, to find out who he is. Um, and just a little bit more about that situation. It's something I've been investigating and, you know, I'm really excited, um, at the possibility of having a sit down conversation with him about what was happening and going through his head in that moment. Do you feel like, as a journalist in, in 2020, you also have to do so much reporting on social media and not just through your job? Yeah, I mean, I would say like a good part of my job lately has turned into social media. Um, like sometimes when I go out and I'm covering something, I don't always have a green light um, that it'll be included in our newscast. So, mm-hmm. you know, just because it's not something that my station wants to do like doesn't mean it's still like not a worthwhile story so you know I find myself like using my social media more to like amplify things or talk about subjects and stories that maybe aren't in our newscast that day um or even to like preview something that I'm going to be doing later um like I did that at the Robert Fuller protests um that I was attending over the last week um i our newscast generally run during the week. Um, and that was over the weekend. So I was using my Twitter feed and my Instagram mm-hmm. to keep people updated on, you know, uh, the vigils that were happening, um, comments from the family, um, when the attorney was hired by the family, that sort of thing. And then on Monday, I was able to sum that all up um, in a story for air. And can you talk a little bit about what happened with him for people who might not be familiar? Sure. Uh, So on June 10th, um, in the early morning, LA sheriffs received a phone call that there was a man hanging from a tree in a park outside of City Hall in Palmdale. Uh, The man was 24-year-old Robert Fuller. He is a native of the area. He has a family in the area. um, And he, he was last seen protesting. And They lost track of him, and the next time he was seen was when he was found dead hanging in this tree. Um, You know, obviously, in America, we have a really terrible history with Black men being lynched, Black men, Black women, Black people being lynched um, and being murdered in this manner. So, 
you know, seeing that obviously touched a nerve in this community. The Antelope Valley is historically a white place, but because of, you know, redlining here in Los Angeles, a lot of our black population has migrated out there and has made a home. So now it's a pretty, they have a very thriving black community now. Um, city, city leadership ruled this a suicide, as did the sheriff that initially responded to the scene. Um, even though there wasn't a chair, a note, a stool or anything found, it was still ruled a suicide, which, you know, again, knowing the historical context and not having any real evidence, that really angered the family and the community, understandably so. Uh, another thing to note is that this area where this happened, the Antelope Valley, they have a really long history with um, being a safe haven for white supremacy. In the 1980s, um, this was a sundown town. So, you know, they say that black people are allowed during the day, but once the sun goes down, it's not a safe place to be. The Ku Klux Klan regularly held rallies in this area. Um, there have been Ku Klux Klan flyers handed out in these neighborhoods. The Ku Klux Klan, uh, three members of the Ku Klux Klan were actually charged with a hate crime in 2016 for attacking a group of Latinx people in a park in this area. And in 2017, some school teachers in the Palmdale district were actually uh, suspended for posing with a noose in a picture. Uh, so, you know, this area, people, black people that live in this area will tell you, you know, they make it a point not to go places after a certain time. There are certain neighborhoods you do not go to, you know, these groups are still very real. And if, if they are conducting any business, it's likely going to be out in this area. And were there was like another, there was like a third uh, I think there's been like five, five or something in like the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and there were two other cases, one in Manhattan and one in Texas. And like, look, I'm not a detective, but I would consider that sort of some sort of serial killer pattern. <laughs> like if it was like this is what I keep thinking is that if it was if you were finding a bunch of white women hanging from trees, you would be like, there seems to maybe be someone doing this. But I think what's scary is I doubt it's the same people. No, I think no. it's people in yes. different areas having the same type of reaction to what's, you know, like that they're so fueled by hate and they're seeing other people do it and get away with it and have it be called a suicide. Right. So it just empowers them to, to do it themselves, which is disgusting. So what have the protests been like over there? Uh, so the protests over in Palmdale are a lot smaller. Um you know, they obviously have a much smaller population than we do in L.A. proper, even though it is still L.A. County. Um, it's it's completely different from the vibe out here. Um, everyone there is um, very involved with the Christian faith, from what I've seen. So a lot of these protests are led by pastors um, and really bring in that faith tradition as an element of the gatherings that they're doing. We've had a lot of candlelit vigils, a lot of services and memorials honoring the people that have passed. Um, not too many calls for defunding the police, but more calls um, upon leadership in the city and in the county, um, like Catherine Barger, for example. She's the county supervisor for this region. Um, the last protest that they held was outside of her office. It was a candlelit vigil, just calling on her to you know, force the LA sheriff to be more transparent in their investigation and keep the community, um, you know, 
aware of what was going on. And before we we move on to the very stupid game show portion of all this, (laughs) I feel like in recent years, there's been this pushback with journalists that like you have to show two sides to every story, even when there isn't really a second side. How do you feel about that? Yeah, that's that's sort of the reckoning that's going on in media right now, right? A lot of, I mean, in addition to a lot of media orgs being called out for just being like safe havens for old ideas that are rooted in, you know, the patriarchy and white supremacy, um, you know, is also calling out the fact that, you know, not every story has two sides. You know, it's really important to remember that a lot of people's existence are inherently politicized and we really have to instead of you know demonizing people for being othered you know we really have to in push back on the people that are making that call does that make sense yeah yeah there's no there's no two sides of like racism or sexism, or homophobia, or transphobia. And I i mean, we both went to the same college, years apart. In journalism school, it was very much like, you have to interview both sides. You have to get both sides of the story. And over time, I've been delighted to see that, like, no, you don't. Like, those people are terrible. They're, they're actively promoting harm. Like, I, I feel like there's been a lot of like trouble with, you know, we, we have to report what Trump is saying. We have to cover the rallies, like all this stuff. But like, but like, ju- if you do, you have to be like, that is a lie. Like if, if, right. So if, a, if you interview a cop f- from the, the rally uh, or from the protest and they are like, well, the protesters were out of control and we had to shoot them. You don't have to just print that. You can underneath it print. I was, uh, as an observer of those, uh, protests, that was not true. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to fact check the people you're talking to. It's not enough to just like present what they say. And I think like a lot of news organizations just do that because they do not have enough inclusivity and diversity in their newsroom. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And I think that's when you get stories like, you know, uh, profiles of alt-right members Ugh. and stuff like that. You know, that's like that whole presenting the other side argument. Just one one final question that I love, I think is important to ask journalists, like in this era of fake news, what can you do as a consumer to make sure that you're getting accurate information? Oh, man. I mean, always just like pay attention to where information is coming from. Like if you see something from like, I don't know, New Africa today, like that's probably fake. (laughs) I would say. Um, And also like, and not just like in like the titles of things, like also like look at who's funding what you're reading, right? Like people will send me things all the time from these websites that like look very professional, very polished, have a nice name that like doesn't raise any red flags. But if you look at, you know, their masthead and who is like, who their big donors are, that will tell you a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. just, you know, what is the word? Critical thinking is something that I think is really devalued these days. And I really think we're in a period of anti-intellectualism. And I think it's the responsibility of consumers to 
just not let that happen. Call that shit out. There's nothing wrong with being smart. Being smart, sexy. Couldn't agree more. (laughs) (laughs) Would you like to play a game show? I'd love to play a game show. (laughs) Oh boy. Here we go. Okay, so this is called Hypotheticals. You and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask as many clarifying questions as you want. Then you can tell me what you would do in that situation. And then I just decide if I like your answer. Okay. Our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? While deep undercover for a story, you spot your partner of 12 years making out with someone else at a club. You can't tell them you saw them because it will blow your cover and you no longer know who you can trust. Would you stay with this cheater or make up an excuse to leave? The person they were making out with is the person you are secretly investigating. Dumb, dumb. Law and order. Yeah, I added the law and order sound. I mean... Honestly, my first thought would be like, oh, like, she's probably trying to, like, help me and get some information. (laughs) Yeah, maybe that's what I was thinking. Like, maybe she's also undercover and she's like, you know, gonna like be like a honeypot. You know what a honey, you know what a honeypot is? It's where I know what a honeypot is. Okay, well, yeah, yeah. I've been the honeypot so many times. (laughs) You go in, you seduce the target, you get all their info, and then you bring it back. You know, you bring it back. Totally. So maybe maybe your partner's doing a secret honeypot for you. Although they don't know what you're they undercover doing. They don't know that doing. you're investigating it. But maybe they found out somehow. I, I, know yeah, you- I feel like she would find out. You know what? This is so annoying because that was my twist and you guys already saw through it. <laughs> I, I guessed. I was like, this is going to be the twist. <laughs> That she's also uh, undercover. They're CIA. Uh, well, then I have you to You don't go. know that your partner is CIA and they're also investigating. If my partner's CIA, I gotta go. <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah, they're shady as fuck. <laughs> I, don't mean to, I don't mean to bring up Conspiracy Corner, which I do all the time, but the CIA is up to no good. And they have very little oversight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our next game. Are you a terrible parent? Your 10-year-old won't ever let you listen to the news in the car and complains it hurts their ears. So you build a soundproof box to put over them in the back seat so they can do whatever you want they want and you can listen to the news. Are you a terrible parent? They are unable to take the box off without assistance, but they can text you if they need something. What are they doing in the box? like whatever they want you know they have like yeah they have a child's ipad they're just snapping you know this like sounds like something i would do with my niece to be perfectly (laughs) honest like this sounds like something that she probably has and wants to use a big soundproof box that she wears yeah i mean she doesn't really vibe with my music so (laughs) (laughs) why don't they want to listen to the news I think the cu- the kid sh- the kid no the kid should be informed. <laughs> My kid should hear the news all the time. Not all the time. We can switch between the news and and Ariana Grande. Okay, but we gotta we gotta listen to the news. What if we made a thing that was like okay for like ten minutes we listen to the news and then for ten minutes we listen to Taylor Swift and then for ten minutes we listen to the news and then for ten minutes we listen to. I don't, whatever you want, Cardi B, Nicki Minaj, anything. And then for 10 minutes, we listen to the news. 
Well, if you choose that option, then you miss out on the fact that you've invented an incredible device that, that parents yes. throughout the world want and you actually yes. become a millionaire. Whew. I'm on fire. Uh-huh. Yes, you are. Cerise <laughs> was right. I was trying to be like one of those parents that like makes their kid be a professional flautist and like de- makes their kid learn like Japanese when they're four. And Cerise was just like, fuck it. And now she's a millionaire and you're I'm not. A millionaire. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> okay, our final game. Would you lie or tell the truth? A major source in a news story who also happens to be your best friend tells you something shocking and groundbreaking, but she immediately regrets it and asks you to keep it off the record after she already told you. No. When your editor asks if you got any new information, would you lie or tell the truth? This would never happen. I wouldn't do a story where my best friend was the source because that's unethical. Yeah. But oh, also, but I okay, would. But pretend you had to. <laughs> but I would. I would give the story to another colleague. It's unethical. Damn it! <laughs> I, I would. I would use the information. Mm. You would. It's the greater good, baby. You gotta go for the greater good. It's not about. I'm gonna take her comment that was off the record, Gabby. That's oh, so unethical. Said, yeah, I guess she said that's so no, unethical. Not, she, said it after. she said it. It was off the record after she already said it, so it doesn't count. Oh, that's. I mean, it you have to count, say. You like, have to say off the record first, Cerise. I went to journalism school. I went to journalism school. You gotta say off the record first. That's Gabby. A, Gabby didn't just burn a bridge. She got her best friend killed by the CIA. And you know what? By the CIA. Your partner killed your best friend. Look at that. (laughs) Cerise Cerise understands the hypothetical cinematic universe, which is that the (laughs) CIA person that killed your friend was also the partner from the first hypothetical. There does it's all ex- connected. There does exist a hypothetical cinematic universe. <laughs> and it all comes together. Oh, my God. I need to move there. Like, I'm doing so well. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're very rich. <laughs> but you have lost a lot of loved ones. Um. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people follow you and find out more about your work? Oh, man. Okay, so I'm on Twitter, at Cerise Castle. And... I'm a lot more raunchy on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) The Instagram is your majesty with a C-E-E because I'm Cerise. Oh, Oh, I got it. I get it. (laughs) Listen, we all got puns. Mine's Gabby Road, which is a Beatles pun, and I regret it every day. (laughs) Um, And they can listen to uh, the stories that you've done on KCRW who uh, should pay you a bajillion dollars more. Thank you for that. (laughs) that's my stance mine as well (laughs) thank you so much thank y'all I appreciate you stick around after the break we'll be talking all about Joe Biden that's the correct tone Back to just between us. It's time for topics. X X X X X X X baby. 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 So this topic was um kind of ignited through uh an Instagram comment we got on the JBU podcast account. Yeah, a little sort of at JBU podcast. A little a little a little discussion I got into with a couple um 
uh, fans of the show, and it was a very illuminating and great conversation um, in which they were addressing that we had sort of passively endorsed Biden-ish, and um, they they were annoyed that we had done so, and rightfully so, because they work with domestic violence uh, and sexual assault survivors. So we thought we would talk more in-depth about Biden as the Democratic candidate. So... Uh... Anyone who's been following the show knows that in no way, shape, or form was Biden our first choice, second choice, third choice, fourth choice. I, yeah. Ugh. Ever, ever a choice. I'm so, uh, uh, Julian Castro, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so here's the thing. We are in a two-party system, and that sucks. I think that so much of the issues that we have are because we're in a two-party system. It allows our country to be so bipartisan. Um, it makes it so that you either have to, like, there's no gray area um, it, in terms of, like, being able to engage in the voting process. And I, I fully recognize that Biden is a problematic candidate. I don't know how we fucked up again, but we have a super problematic nominee um, he is, he's been he's accused been, of sexual assault. He's, uh, been like flippantly racist. He like said some, uh, dumb shit about how poli about police brutality being like, we don't shoot in the head. We shoot in the leg. Like, uh, just he's like, he's also not, he's also not great with climate change. He's he is weirdly touchy feely with young children. <laughs> so yeah. So in terms of addressing the treatment towards women, um, Tara Reid, who was um, worked in his Senate office in, in 1993, yeah. accused him of pushing her against the wall and inserting his fingers, fingers inside into her, her vagina. Assault. And there has been little to no response to this accusation. I'd say that the New York Times did somewhat of an investigation into it. There are multiple people who corroborate her story and say that she told them about it at the time or either a couple of years afterwards. But then there are also people who she said she talked to about it who said that they never had that conversation. I believe Tara Reid. There's no part of me that doesn't. I also believe the seven other women who have come out and said that he has acted inappropriately towards them. Um, I think it's really interesting that a lot of them say, while it hasn't crossed over into um, sexual assault, uh, it is interesting thing it is a power move yeah in a harassment. Lot of ways. yeah so it is that like even they even said it's not necessarily sexual harassment it was more just that that he was he was asserting his dominance or his power to make them feel yes uncomfortable totally it's like an entitlement Which, yeah so all of that horrible you know what the biggest piece of evidence to me was for tara reed was uh the call that her mother put into larry king in like 95 did you see that Oh, so talk, yeah, explain what that was. So they found a, a tape from 1995 of the Larry King show where he has people call in and uh, Tara Reid's mother called in and said, uh, I have a question, like, is there anything I can do? My daughter was, uh, like, had an inappropriate interaction with a, a senator, a sitting senator. What, what, is there anything that you think I, sh I could do about that? And that was in 95. That was the mom. Like, she doesn't, you know, there's no reason for her to have, like, gained anything from doing that. And to me, that's what tipped me over the edge. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. 
Can I read uh, what Angela Davis said, activist Angela Davis said about Biden, which is what someone sent me on Twitter because I asked uh, Twitter people to to give us some information of what they feel about him as our candidate? Yeah, I was going to read it, too. <laughs> oh, OK. So Angela. OK, wow. So Angela Davis said, well, my position really hasn't changed. I'm not going to actually support either of the major candidates, but I do think we have to participate in the election. I mean, that isn't to say that I won't vote for the Democratic candidate. What I'm saying is that in our electoral system as it exists, neither party represents the future that we need in this country. Both parties remain connected to corporate capitalism, but the election will not so much be about who gets to lead the country to a better future, but rather how we can support ourselves and our own ability to continue to organize and place pressure on those in power. And I don't think there's a question about which candidate would allow that process to unfold. So I think that we're going to have to translate some of the passion that has characterized these demonstrations into work within the electoral arena. Recognizing that the electoral arena is not the best place for the expression of radical politics. But if we want to continue this work, we certainly need a person in office who will be amenable to our mass pressure. And to me, that is the only thing that someone like Joe Biden represents. But we have to persuade people to go out and vote to guarantee that the current occupant of the White House is forever ousted. So when people say, why do you support Biden? Honestly, my only answer is because he's not Trump. Right. And that is the thing. I think that Trump is so dangerous and so detrimental. And I think that I I, I would vote for a dog over Trump. Honestly, I'd vote for a dog over Biden. But like, I think that uh, I think that we just it's one of those situations where there isn't another alternative. I did some research into is it a possibility to have a different Democratic nominee this this far along in the process. And it just like realistically, it is not um, it just because of the way that delegates work and with the DNC, like if if that was a possibility that I would be like, let's all rally behind that. But there as we saw in the primary, there just wasn't even a there wasn't even a person that people could agree on. Yeah. Um, and so it, obviously if there's like some dark horse, someone who like wasn't even involved in the primary that people that people uni- unanimously support, that would be amazing. But I think that part of what got us where we are is like thinking that America wouldn't get where we are, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And and sometimes we have to compromise to fight the bigger battle. And the, one of the main reasons it's so important to not have Trump in the White House is the Supreme Court mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and not having more Republican elected Supreme Court um, judges. So tr- Biden is old. I don't even know if Biden will run for a second term. He's kind um, of made it clear that he won't. So the VP pick is is really important. But it's just like... Ugh. We didn't dream big enough in terms of radicalization, which like is happening now, but to to a lot of people that weren't radicalized before. Um, And it's and it and it's like a little bit too, as you said, it's a little bit too late. But also like he just he has so much baggage, which was like the problem with Hillary Clinton, too. Um, Oh, God. Can I go into a, a, a rant? Sure. Okay, so the Supreme Court is very important 
And obviously we just saw that with um, the DACA ruling and the, the LGBT protections, trans protections for workers. Um, but but like the Supreme Court isn't perfect either. Like liberal judges are not perfect either. All no. of this happened. All of this happened and it was great. But at the very same time, they passed uh, an allowance for a gas and oil pipeline in the Appalachian Trail. And, and uh, RBG, as our former guest, Rebecca Nagel, warned us, uh, uh, voted against uh, indigenous people. So, like, it's just, uh, the whole thing is bad. <laughs> yeah, but it, it even reaches, like, the, the president's power reaches further than the Supreme Court because you're also electing federal judges. Right, right, right. And so I, you know, I obviously cannot speak to sexual assault survivors and their personal decision in this election. Mm-hmm. But I think outside of that group, which unfortunately is a huge group, I think that Roxanne Gay said, you know, we have to just look at what's at stake. And I think that what's at stake is too big to ignore. And we just have to like kind of and it sucks because election after election, I feel like we're just sucking it up. Right. We're just like kind of like as Democrats, just sort of like, oh, this isn't who I want, but I'll vote, you know. But I think that we're seeing that the people are mobilizing in an amazing way. And I think what Angela Davis said is so true in that, like, as long as we don't have Trump in the White House actively, like, calling the military on peaceful protests, the the capacity for this movement is to to actually have change and to, like, influence things is greater. Yeah. And let me me say, like, as... as, uh, I don't really like... I mean, other people can use it. I don't really like the term sexual assault survivor. But as someone who's been sexually assaulted, I think that, like, the video of him, like, being very touchy-feely with the the wives and children in that, like, where he's taking the photos with the um, the newly elected senators and congresspeople, I think, really fucking fucked with me. It was really, really skeeved me out. Really was, like, very upsetting because i just recognized the behavior so clearly and like i under so i completely understand it's just like oh it's just such a but like i will vote for him but now here's the thing right okay so here's my thing like voting for him but then do we have to like campaign for him do we have to like get biden shirts and like support him I'm instead going to focus on the Senate and Congress okay. so and local elections. So I think I, I think instead of saying vote Biden, I'm going to say don't vote for Trump. OK. And then I'm going to support the Democratic nominees, you know, throughout the ballot. Yeah. And the progressive nominees throughout the ballot. Um, yeah. I think that it's OK to say you know, vote for Biden. He's not Trump, (laughs) you know, like have that caveat where like, it's, it's not, I don't think anyone in our generation for the most part is like jazzed about Biden. I think that, and I think in the past when it's been like the lesser of two evils, that argument, like, you know, people, people have said that argument so much that it's sort of like lost its power, but I think it's like not a dictator. (laughs) not a fascist you know like it's it's not like biden versus bush who was also horrible but like trump takes things to a next level and a level of danger and a level of oppression and fascism that is just like i i will i i would do anything to make it so that he's not our president again 
I think it's about getting people to vote, you know, like, yeah, we got to maintain Congress. We've got to take back the Senate, you know, that we have to work on voter suppression. We have to, like, really try to make sure that people can vote by mail, you know, work on use our advocacy in those areas. And then the asterisk is, you know, vote for Biden. (laughs) That's the other thing, though, is that, like, even the ability to vote is under like mm-hmm. such attack like you can you go around and being like go, vote like everyone should just vote but like a lot of people can't vote and like mm-hmm. you know uh, they don't give you know people that are out of prison the right to vote and like honestly people who are in prison should be allowed to vote and like it's just like also like i brought this up in our instagram comments but like so trump has been accused of sexual assault many times and it's like only one side seems to care about that, which is, like, so telling. But, like, the Republicans, literally, he could have, like, 25 accusations and they, like, wouldn't care. He does have 25 I, accusations. I know. And it's just, like, I feel like I've become very much more radicalized in terms of, like, I don't care about any politician. Like, all politicians are bad. Like, even I understand that, like, Obama was, like, a big a, a big step forward. But, like... Even even he still like did drone attacks against Middle Eastern countries and like even like uh, I just want to burn everything down. I would like to burn it all down and start over. Yeah, me too. But I think that, again, like what Angela Davis was saying, like in order to be able to do that, we have to have a Democrat in the White House. Yeah. Um, And I AOC said that she will vote for Biden, but she will not endorse him. Yeah. And I think that that's a a smart way to look at it yeah um, and to approach it Ah! i think that's the perfect way to end this episode yeah exactly (laughs) tamika you want to come in and do a show rating hi hello hi um because i appreciated the conversation and the international question i love the rest of the episode but the international question um i thought maybe we could go with five out of five healthy boundaries for your parents. <laughs> oh, <laughs> say more about that. No, I just think it's it's really important to uh, value yourself enough to know even with important relationships that certain boundaries can actually make you have a healthier relationship with another person. Definitely. I mean, they're going to fight it for a while, but you got to just keep, you got to stand your ground. I will rate it... Um, 17 out of 15 press passes. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Cerise is a goddamn hero and I love her so much. Oh my God. It's unbelievable. I'm so glad we had her on. Yeah, I love her. Um, I will rate it uh, 10 out of 10 uh, cops who look like fucking nerds and uh, like who look like Rick Moranis and Spaceballs. Go fuck yourself. But also, even if you don't look like that and you're a cop, go fuck yourself. Um. Truly. (laughs) Thanks to Cerise Castle for being our guest. Just Between Us is hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Our engineer is Brendan Burns. He also composed our killer theme music. Our producer is Tamika Weatherspoon. And our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Josephine Martirana. Just Between Us is a production of Stitcher. Vote if you can. And also work on voter suppression and everything is bad and I want to burn it all down and I this is the radicalization of Gabby Dunn. Enjoy! Enjoy. <laughs>
Stitcher.